This is The Big Show with Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Jake Scott with you, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, broadcasting live today from the Salt Palace. We're hanging out with our friends at Homie at Silicon Slopes, and of course, uh, Homie, a big deal in the tech world around here, and it's uh, exciting to be down here with them. It's a lot of fun. They hooked uh, Megan and myself up with a t-shirt, so we feel like we're part of the team. We're out here getting the word out about Homie, so if you're uh, coming down or, uh, or already here and listening... Maybe you have an earpiece or something. Listen on the app. Uh, come on by and, and say hello. We're going to talk some Utah, Arizona State with our friend Hode Rubino coming up here momentarily of Devil's Digest. We'll find out exactly what's going on in Arizona State land where it would appear like they've uh, bounced back from their loss against uh, BYU and seem to be playing some pretty good football. So, in fact, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's waste no more time, shall we? shall we? Let's get out to the Sprint, or excuse me, the Smart Rain special guest line joining us now. He writes for Devil's Digest. He's our friend Hode Rubino with us on the big show. Hode, what's going on? Not much. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me on again. No, we appreciate you uh, jumping on with us. And I was just uh, making the point that it would appear that Arizona State has bounced back nicely from that uh, loss to BYU. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you want to frame it as a classic wake-up call or not, and it's a good thing that if it was a wake-up call that it happened in non-conference play rather than Pac-12 slate. But, uh, yes, I think that uh, ASC first and foremost really had a hard time dealing uh, with a rowdy crowd uh, on the road. As you know, all Pac-12 teams uh, were not playing in front of uh, anybody uh, in the stands during uh, the, the, um, the 2020 season. So it really was uh, a bit of a, a culture shock, if you will, uh, um, for the Sun Devils. Obviously, they had the 16 penalties, probably close to 20 if all those penalties were accepted by the Cougars, had four turnovers. So it really was a game that uh, I'm not saying BYU did not earn their victory, but they definitely were aided by ASU continuously shooting themselves in the foot. And since then, uh, they definitely have played uh, um, better football. I would say even maybe beating some teams are just as good, if not better, than BYU. So, again, if you want to call it a, a wake-up call or uh, just um, a really um, re- realization of uh, what you are and what you aren't and really uh, making sure you're taking corrective action after that, I think the Sun Devils have done a good job in that element. Well, you, you say beating some teams. Uh, the, the, I guess, uh, right answer would be stomping teams. I mean, beat the Colorado 35-13, to which you would expect that, but smashed UCLA 42-23 to and beat Stanford 28-10. to I mean, really whooped up on those teams. So is it, is it simply that they cleaned up those mistakes that you're talking about, or is it they fixed those mistakes and then something else? Well, I think, uh, first of all, there's no question that the ASU defense even the loss to BYU showed why they're uh, one of the better, if not the best unit uh, in the Pac-12. Because when you look at that BYU game, it really was what essentially came down to a, a garbage time touchdown. That was the only points that ASU gave up the entire second half at, at, at BYU. And the defense really has uh, just played better and better ever, ever, ever since. But I think uh, the key is a passing game. And I know folks that 
listened to my analysis often are probably sick of me saying this, but coming into the season, I knew that the passing game was going to be the X factor for ASU. And if that passing game played better, if not much better than it did in 2020, there's really no telling how far this team can go. Even in the loss to BYU, started to see some early signs of this passing game uh, really turning the corner and playing at a higher level because even against the so-called cupcakes, this passing game was, was really anemic. So I would say especially especially against UCLA and uh, to a lesser extent against Colorado, uh, this, uh, this passing game really, really, really showed up. And along with an already strong ground attack with already a strong uh, defense, this is really the, the, the missing missing puzzle piece. Uh, I was uh, somewhat disappointed in the passing game, not playing all that great against uh, Stanford. Uh, the, only, the last offensive touchdown scored in that contest was really early in the second quarter. But uh, I know there's going to be some times during the season that the defense is really going to have to bail out uh, the offense and really carry the entire team. And that Stanford game was one example of that. Curious to see what's going to happen on Saturday, if it's going to be the same scenario. So I thought watching the the Arizona State-BYU game obviously closely, BYU really made a a concerted effort to make Jaden Daniels throw. I I mean, Mm -hmm. he had 10 carries for 8 yards in the BYU game, so obviously they were pretty effective at that. And so I guess I think you're right on the money about the the passing game. If Utah were to take a page out of of BYU's book and really make Jaden Daniels one-dimensional, is he the way he's playing right now, is he good enough to go win a game with his arm? Well, I should just add uh, just a, a very small and quick note uh, about the uh, offensive play calling in the BYU game. There is a former ASU staffer that's currently on, on the BYU staff. So what the ASU coaching staff did, and honestly, I don't think they prepared all that well leading up to the BYU game, is actually change your play calling system where Jaden Daniels, if you noticed during the game, was actually wearing a wristband and looking at the plays and, and calling them accordingly. And that's something that was absolutely foreign to Jaden Daniels. And, and the offense. They haven't done it since. They haven't done it before. So I think uh, that uh, really hindered, especially the passing game against BYU, which actually wasn't, wasn't all, all that bad. But I would say if I'm Utah and I'm looking at this ASU offense, not that you're disrespecting uh, Jaden Daniels in the, in the passing game because in recent weeks they definitely played, uh, played well. But make no mistake about it, the bread and butter of this ASU offense is, is the running game. You probably could make the same argument about Utah uh, for that matter. So I, I think Utah would be comfortable with the defensive approach being make Jed and Daniels and, and, and the passing game beat us as long as we can contain the, contain the, uh, contain the ground game. If, um, if Utah empl- employs that in the passing game, ASU does not respond in kind, uh, then I think uh, it could be a very tough matchup for the Sun Devils. Yeah, you know, and and I think, you know, watching Jaden play over the years, he's certainly good enough to make you pay throwing the ball. I Don't get me wrong, you know, it's kind of like Gap and LeBron, you know. He's a good three-point <laughs> shooter, but you'd rather you'd rather play that way than have him dunk in your face, you know. So it's it's one of those pick-your-poison type thing, which which probably is what makes him very good. Yeah, and uh, look, uh, I'm not, um, you know, minimizing uh, anything uh, about, about Utah and their big win at the USC even though it seems like uh, every Pac-12 team that makes a visit to the LA Coliseum drops uh, a 40-plus points yeah, uh, on right. the pros of this season. But uh, I think uh, when you look at look at the other side of the coin, you can argue that USC wasn't able to run the ball well that night. You can argue that USC was playing from behind constantly and had to throw the ball as often as they did. But I think the 
fact that ultimately Keaton Clovis did uh, pass for 401 yards against Utah, I can't imagine that Utah uh, secondary really coming in uh, with, with a lot of confidence and swagger uh, in, into this game. You know, I mean, some, some may argue that maybe the USC passing game is, is much better than ASU. I, I, would, I, would actually, I would actually disagree on that. But I think that offensive coordinator Zach Hill has definitely seen a lot of opportunities that the, 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 that the CETA secondary can present. So I think uh, Utah, Utah defense might be in a in somewhat of a tough position because they definitely want they definitely want to make Jaden Daniels uh, beat them rather than uh, concede anything to the running game. But uh, if the Utah secondary does not play um, much better than they did uh, last last week at the Coliseum, I think Jaden Daniels and his aerial targets are definitely at a high enough level that they can exploit a lot of opportunities over there for the Sudden Devils. You've seen uh, Arizona State play UCLA, so they, and they've, they've been good at times this year, so I don't want to totally discount them, but I'm going to ask this question anyway. How much of the South do you think uh, who ends up winning the division uh, comes down to this game this weekend? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, there's really uh, no way in my mind to uh, overstate the, the, the importance of this because you, you, when you have the tiebreaker, it's not that you're really up by a game. You're really, you're really essentially up, up by two games. Uh, you know, UCLA maybe has an outside chance of uh, getting, getting back in the race, but they're going to be highly dependent on both on, on both Utah and ASU. And you can also make the argument that that game later on between Utah and UCLA can can, can definitely dictate a lot, depending on depending on what happens on on, on Saturday night. But yeah, um, I mean, I I try not to be hyperbolic uh, with, with with my statements when it comes to the magnitude of games, but I think it's really impossible to uh, even try to minimize the importance. Of, of ASU Utah matchup, there's, there's no doubt that uh, the, the team that wins is going to be is going to be in the driver's seat. I will say that objectively speaking, I think ASU might have an, an easier pass from here on out um, compared to Utah in terms of the caliber of teams that are remaining on the schedule. So I'm not I'm not here to you know concede anything or, or, or saying if ASU loses, it's really no big deal. But I still feel ultimately that Utah. Um, you know, they, they had what I guess what should have been a tough game at USC ended up not being definitely a tough game uh, the, uh, this Saturday. But uh, when you look at the schedule of, of, of both Utah and ASU, uh, it might be a little more important for Utah to, Utah to win this game than ASU because I think that they may uh, have some more pitfalls uh, down the road com- compared to the Sun Devils. But, but again, the, the, I, I agree with anybody that would say that the magnitude, the importance of this contest and its effect on the Pac-12 South race is absolutely enormous. I don't think you're overstating any of that at all, uh, Hode. I mean, I've got I, honestly, I've got Arizona State schedule here. They're at Utah, home to Washington State, home to USC, at Washington, at Oregon State, and home to Arizona. I mean, those are all very w- winnable games. I know the Beavs are playing better football, so you know maybe mm-hmm. that's more a little more difficult than than we once thought. And Utah has to play Oregon. Arizona State doesn't, but I at least before the season, Hode, I thought it was going to come down to that the three teams: USC, Arizona State, and Utah. And who beat who and who could go 2-0 against the other two was going to decide the division. I didn't expect USC to go this far into the tank, and they're out of it. And that leaves this game. So I don't think you're being hyperbolic at all. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think I wouldn't still rule out UCLA, which obviously, again, at this point is much more dependent on what Utah and, and, and what ASU is going to do. But, uh, yeah, I think the downfall of, of, of USC is definitely surprising. I don't think there were a college playoff team before the season started. 
and I thought that ASU still might edge them uh, for the for the Pac-12 South Championship. But uh, what's going on uh, right that, right now in LA? Uh, it, it really is mind-boggling uh, to, to some extent. I mean, I didn't, never thought that Clay Helton was a great head coach to begin with, but uh, for things to really uh, go downhill so quickly. I mean, again, three home. Pac-12 games, and all of them, not only do you lose, but the opponent scores 40-plus points. I know USC was not a defensive juggernaut coming into the season, but, you know, give me give me a break. I mean, that's just an absolute meltdown uh, in almost every Pac-12 contest uh, that, no, 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 that they played. But uh, UCLA, I think some folks did think they could be a contender for the, for the South Championship. And, again, I'm, I don't think they're really out of the picture uh, in, in that vein. But as far as Utah and ASU, yes. I think a lot of folks, including myself, uh, thought that they would be uh, in the mix uh, for the championship. And, again, I don't think anything is over by any means after Saturday night. But uh, there's definitely going to be maybe some clear uh, direction uh, for each team of what they need to do from here on out to capture that division championship. Our friend Hode Rubino is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone from Devil's Digest. Um, Hode, I'm sure you're uh, very tired of talking about this, but what is the latest on the investigation into Arizona State? Where do things sit now? Well, I mean, I've been hearing conflicting reports as to whether the NCAA is actually going to have investigators uh, that actually, that are, are going to interview the AC coaches and AC staff before the season or, or until after the season ends. And, you know, folks ask me all the time, uh, how much of a distraction is this? I mean, I really think that the players and the coaches have done a very good job uh, really keeping that off, off the field issue uh, in, 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 in the background. But truth be told, uh, if, the, if the NCAA investigators were start to interviewing coaches and staffers during the season, then you can argue that there could be a potential for the, for distraction. But right now, I think that both uh, the coaches and the players have done a great job uh, not, not, even, not even thinking about that, not letting anything affect their play. I know that a lot of folks right after the BYU game said that, oh, this is a clear example that ASU lost and the way they lost with undisciplined play and turnovers is a clear example or clear proof how the NCAA investigation is affecting ASU, but obviously then when you go a couple of weeks later and, and beat UCLA on the road, uh, those <laughs> those claims are, are nowhere to be found. So, I, again, I, I think that uh, the NCAA investigation is definitely a cloud that's hanging over, over the program's head, but I don't see it really affecting uh, what, what's happening between the white lines each and every week. What's your personal opinion on it? You think it's wrongdoing? Much ado about nothing? Who cares? Where Where do you fall? <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's a tough question to to answer because when you look at the uh, name, image, and likeness taking place so shortly after this story breaks, you're thinking like, okay, can we really just put everything in perspective and see what is really egregious and what really isn't? Um, you know, a school like Baylor, uh, for example, with multiple uh, sexual transgressions by by the by the players, coaches, administrators looking looking uh, looking the other way when it happens, and they get even less than a slap on the wrist. And the issue right now is faced with uh, potentially a, a lot of uh, level level one infractions. I mean, I think in some way that does uh, that, that really does uh, rub, rub you the wrong way. I will say that, you know, I, I know a lot of folks here in Tempe were upset that uh, ASU already put not one, not two, but three assistant coaches on, on administrative leave. Uh, I, I think ultimately there really was uh, such, such a tight paper trail that was really hard 
uh, to, you know, to, to, to deny what happened over there. And, and look, if you're really being honest here, I think Arizona State just wanted to show that goodwill to the NCAA. So the NCAA, in turn, does show some goodwill uh, later on because we've seen a lot of examples where when you try to defy the NCAA, uh, when, when you really just uh, ignore or just try too hard to spin matters in, in your own way, that it really, it really does hurt you uh, uh, down the road. So I think if ASU uh, you know, is found guilty, then that should be ramifications. But how strong ramifications, I think the NCAA really should take a close look at the environment right now in, 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 in college football, um, really what, what's happening with schools, like I said, with Baylor, where uh, the transgressions over there are a million times worse than, than what happened at ASU. And, uh, you know, we'll, you know we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, look, I mean, if those coaches indeed uh, didn't, didn't, you know, did something wrong and the evidence is overwhelming, then uh, you really have to pay the price ultimately. Hoda Rubino is on with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Do you expect Herm Edwards, regardless of the outcome of the investigation, to be a long-term coach at Arizona State? How many more years do you think he has left? I really think when Hermed was was hired here uh, some some four seasons ago that uh, it really wasn't viewed as as, as a long term um, ap- ap- appointment anyway. Um, you know maybe the worst kept secret is that if ASU ends up uh, you know you know not only winning the South but winning the Pac-12, uh, maybe Herm Edwards can leave on uh, on, on a high note and really just uh, hand, hand over the baton to, uh, to 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 someone else. So. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that were to happen, that uh, the, the, this would be the last year that Herm Edwards would, you know, would, would be coaching in SMP. But I would say, generally speaking, uh, I, I don't expect uh, him, him to be uh, coaching more than uh, beyond the, the, the 2022 season. And, and again, I think it was pretty much understood when, when he was first hired that this wasn't like a 10-year appointment or, or, or anything like that. He wanted to get back in coaching, uh, and uh, he, he wanted to do it in, uh, in his last coaching job to be an environment that, that, that he did feel comfortable in. But uh, I, I never I never personally viewed it as a, an appointment that really was going to be uh, you know, 10 years at, at ASU or anything like that. So I think ultimately it's going to be five, six years um, at the most that he's going to be the head coach here at Arizona State. You coming up to Salt Lake for the game, Hode? Yes, sir, I am. Well, uh, the good news is is the weather's supposed to be lovely on Saturday, you know, a nice high of, of 59 and sunny, which is actually great. But the bad news is the game's in the middle of the night, so no guarantees. <laughs> yeah, I, I looked at the forecast. I said, you know what, I, I didn't expect uh, to have a kickoff in the 60s or the 70s, but no rain, no snow, no wind. If that forecast does hold up, I think uh, it, it could be uh, just okay under the circumstances. But uh, but we, again, when you talk about the passing game, really not only for ASU but also for Utah, I think that um, it's good that n- neither team is going to have inc- inclement weather if they really want to get their passing game uh, playing a bit, playing at a high level. Utah obviously coming off a big passing game performance against USC and uh, and, and ASU. Uh, I think again the passing game maybe took a little bit of regression against against Stanford, but really has been playing at a pretty high level in uh, the, the, the two three weeks preceding that game. So at least I like the fact that on paper, as we speak right now, uh, there's not going to be any weather that, that that's going to affect the team. I've seen ASU win in, in, in cold weather before. Anybody can look up the game they played against uh, Oregon State last December. It was uh, hardly Chamber of Commerce weather over there in Corvallis. So um, if folks think that ASU is not going to play well just because of the cold weather, I, I really think they're going to be mistaken. And again, there's definitely proof uh, to that. But but again, I'm overall I'm very happy that 
uh, touch wood, no rain, no snow, no wind. That's going to affect uh, affect the game. I think it's going to be an absolutely great contest Saturday night in Salt Lake. Well, Ho, thank you for coming on with us. We really appreciate it, giving us a little Sun Devil perspective, and uh, enjoy the game on Saturday. Let's hope it's a good game at least. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. That's our friend Hode Robino from Devil's Digest. In fact, you can uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Devil's Digest uh, or check out his work at devilsdigest.com. And uh, very nice to jump on and give us a little perspective uh, from Arizona State. And you, you can tell from uh, Hode's analysis, he believes that the, uh, the Devils are playing well. I mean, it's going to be uh, they're going to bring a, a good team to town, Salt Lake, and or to Salt Lake on Saturday night. And there's a lot on the line. I agree with him on that. Um, you know, I think this game is going to go a long way to decide the division. Of course, there's a lot of football left to be played, and Hode's right. Uh, Arizona's uh, Arizona State's schedule going forward is is much more favorable than Utah's, but. Um, this is going to be a big deal. This is going to be who's in the driver's seat. So big thanks to uh, to Hode for jumping on with us. Coming up next, we're going to do a little what's going on. We're going to let you hear a conversation from Hanson Scotty. They talked to John Morris, who's the voice of the Baylor Bears. So we'll go from Arizona State, and uh, and we'll we'll get a Baylor perspective for the BYU-Baylor game coming up right around the corner. But we are live today from the Salt Palace. We're hanging out with the good folks at Homie, and our friend Katie joins us, of course, down here for the Silicon Slopes. Uh, what uh, Conference? Convention? What's summit. The, the summit? Oh. Summit. It's even a more grand of a word. I, that is a grand word. Very <laughs> grand word. No, summit. It just sounds better, mm-hmm. right? It sounds like there's important people there. Like it's a meeting of the minds. Well, me and you are here. So, I mean. True. Anywhere we go, it's a summit. I, I told Scotty I feel out of place because I just don't think I'm cool or smart enough to really fit in. I feel like everybody around here is like cooler than me and smarter You've than got me. a Jazz Bears My Homie shirt on. True. So, I do think you've, you've upped your game in the cool factor. That does bump up the cool factor yeah. a point or two i gotta yeah i, I bet you lloyd that. doesn't have a jazz bears my homie shirt on yeah, I, I bet don't. he doesn't and yeah. i will hold it over lloyd's head for a long long time yeah, yeah indeed uh what should we get into let's talk a little bit about homie cash again because this is new and this is a big deal and i know you guys are excited about it yeah for sure um we're just really excited to be able to find a, an issue that was really like making life so miserable for buyers here um and making sure that we could find a solution for it. And so um, a lot of buyers are getting beat out by cash offers. It's just something that's become the norm now. Um, and now we've made it so you're, you're an average buyer, you can have a cash offer. So we're going to make your traditional offer a cash offer. It's going to be three times more likely to get accepted. So you're going to get into the home of your dreams we're excited to help make that dream come true for you. How many bids? You were you were telling us about a, a house that had what was it seventy something? Yeah, seventy five offers in at one time. So just imagine, like having trying to get your offer looked at. Like how do you, how do you make your offer competitive when there's seventy five other buyers right. there? And I will say like. The market is cooling off. So if you've been sitting back in the background like, ooh, what do I want to do? Do I really want to get in the, in, in, you know, into this? I, I don't know. It is cooling off. So we've gone from 79 to like three or five. So, I mean, <laughs> still, right. you still want to make a competitive offer. But Homie Cash is amazing for those who are on the sidelines saying, ooh, do I really want to get into this? Like, my, I've outgrown my house or I'm ready to downsize or, oh, my gosh, I turns out my... My job is going to stay remote, and I do need an office because right. this basement isn't cutting it for me. Um, let's get you into that house, and and Homey Cash is a great way to to help make sure that it's not as scary. And if you're buying or selling, uh, don't do the commission thing. That just yeah. seems like 
for sure. Wasting money. For sure. So if you buy with Homie, um, we'll actually give you up to half of our commission back. So Sweet. that's um, right now with the median house price on the market, that's $7,500, um, yeah. which is a lot of money that you can put towards whatever you need to, um, closing costs, whatever. Um, so that we're just trying to make it simple and more affordable for everyone. So great. All right. Homie. Check them out. Homie.com. Thank you, Katie. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, more next. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is DJ and PK. Eric Walden, jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Jazz had a great season last year, and it sucked the way it ended for jazz fans, obviously. But they were still a great team. On paper, I think they're better. Fair or foul? I agree with that. I do feel like on paper, they've addressed a lot of the issues that really hurt them in that Clippers series. Theoretically, the jazz are a lot deeper. They're a little more matchup proof. I think if we're saying, what's the ideal version of this team? They're probably missing another lengthy wing capable of defending and switching and hitting some threes, but those guys don't grow on trees. They should be good. They should be improved. They should be capable of winning or at least competing for a championship this year. So I'm really interested to see how it goes. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 till 10 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Show, Jake Scott with you, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, broadcasting live from the Salt Palace, here for Silicon Slopes with our friends at Homie. We're in the Homie booth. Check them out, homie.com. Uh, we talked a little Utah-Arizona State with our friend Hoda Rubino in the last segment. Let's uh, talk a little Baylor-BYU in this segment with uh, what's going on, where we check in with the other shows on the Zone Sports Network. Let's check in with Hanson Scotty. We had the voice of the Baylor Bears on. John Morris started off talking about the run game being off to a good start. Yeah, maybe I'm in a better mood now than when we talked before, right? <laughs> <laughs> it has been uh, it has been so much better, so much more productive. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give credit, a lot of credit, to uh, to Jeff Grimes and Eric Mateo. How about that? Uh, there you go. Blast from the past for you guys, but they are here. Obviously, we're at BYU. And obviously, we are pleased to have him here. Coach Grimes is our offensive coordinator, and Coach Mateos is our offensive line coach. But it's this new offense, this wide zone offense that they brought in and that you guys know so well and installed here. And it has just been, uh, you know, it's been night and day, really, productivity-wise for Baylor's offense. You mentioned some of the rushing numbers. Uh, We've had, I think, five or 600-yard rushing days already this year. By individuals, uh, we're up near the top in the Big 12, first or second in rushing offense. So it, it really has been a dramatic transformation of our offense. And uh, I think those two guys, uh, and certainly the players, you know, running their plays are, are to get the credit for it. Well, let's talk about those players. Smith and Ebner, it sounds a little bit like uh, a jewelry company, but Smith and Ebner are two guys that are responsible for nearly 1,000 yards on the ground. Talk about those two running backs, their differences, and what you expect in their usage this weekend against BYU. Well, you'll see them both, and they're, they're, you know, I want to say interchangeable, but that wouldn't be fair to either of those guys. Treston uh, has really changed his running style. That's Treston Ebner. He uh, is from Henderson, Texas, over in East Texas, 
And he was a guy that would, uh, you know, really bounce it to the outside. You know, first first threat of contact, he would bounce it to the outside. And the coaches were really on him. You need to be more of a north and south runner. And he listened to him, and he has changed his running style. It's amazing how, how – uh, he has taken to the new style. So he is more of a north and south runner uh, in this wide zone. I think it fits him really well. He can go outside if that's where the opening is. He can cut it, you know, if he needs to do that. So he is uh, – and he's a really good special teams player as well. He'll return kicks and return punts for us. So he is uh, – all-purpose yards are really, really good. Um, the other guy is Abram Smith, and he's a converted linebacker. And, uh, you know, he kind of is a running back like a, like a linebacker would run as a running back. Um, he is just straight up the middle, you know, a bull, uh, a lot like Algiers of what I've seen so far. Um, and he has been very, very productive also. Runs between the tackles and just bulls his way for positive yardage pretty much every time he touches the ball. Bohannon's yet to throw an interception. Uh, what do you attribute to his play, and, and, and how impressive have you been with him throughout the course of the season? Yeah, very. Uh, you know, this is a guy that won a quarterback battle. Three guys competed. Gary Bohannon was, was the clear number one, and he has really taken to that role very well. Uh, you guys will understand this. Uh, he, you know, he hadn't thrown an interception yet this year, and uh, we mentioned that once in pregame. And then we don't mention it at all during the game. And if it's still standing, we'll mention it in post game again. But we don't want to be the ones to jinx him, you know, or anybody accuse us of jinxing him throwing his first interception. But I would attribute it to, again, going back to Coach Grimes and uh, putting him in positions to succeed, you know, playing to his strengths. And, and he's got some strengths. He can throw the ball deep. He can throw the mid-range. You know, he can uh, run the option and run it really well also. So I think the coaches have just put him in positions where he can be successful. And the numbers, you know, kind of bear that out through six games. Well, through six games, it's been impressive what this offensive line has done to protect Bohannon, not allowing more than a sack a game. They've been very impressive. I know Oklahoma State was able to get after him a little bit and get some pressure. They had three sacks, and there were a few pressures out there. What did Oklahoma State do to get back to Bohannon? Yeah, you know what they, they did? They really stacked the line, and we couldn't get them out of that. And, and that's what... Uh, our running game was the worst that game, uh, worse than any other game this year. They got pressure on Bohannon like he hadn't had all season, and like you said, the three sacks. So they just really stacked the box. And, you know, what do you do against that? Well, you throw to, to make them back off a little bit, but we couldn't complete any passes, couldn't complete even short-range passes to get them out of that. So they just stayed up there all all night. And uh, it was, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty putrid offensive performance, especially in the first half. Uh, the final was 24 to 14, but just not the offensive numbers that Baylor has uh, shown in every other game. So, uh, so that was the loss, the one loss. And then our guys bounced back really nicely, and Bohannon threw the ball more this past week in the win over West Virginia, and that kept them from stacking the box, and uh, and it led to a really big win. So, Oklahoma State, I think they learned from it, and it was a tough loss, but uh, I think they're better having gone through that. Um, knowing what they need to do when teams stack the box against Baylor. 
So this defense gave up 29 points a game last year, um, and you know what Dave Aranda and his history defensively, he's not going to put up with that. Now they're averaging only 17 points a game. Uh, what is what is the cause of that improvement? Uh, I think another year in Ron Roberts' system, he's the defensive coordinator, and they, they really didn't change much from year one to year two. And we've got 10 starters back. Uh, you know, you, you, I can appreciate uh, the uh, uh, just continuity there with those guys back this year. And then the one newcomer is a uh, transfer. He's from Salt Lake City originally, uh, played at LSU, transferred to Baylor Apu Ika, um, who's kind of a space heater in the middle of that defensive line. So just a lot of experience there. And, uh, again, uh, credit our, our defensive coaches for uh, really scheming it well, and the numbers bear out how much better they are this year than last year. So, Dave Aranda, with with his play calling history, does does he uh, does he still? I mean, you have a DC, but does he give him autonomy to call a defensive play, or does that still uh, fall on Dave Aranda? Yeah, no, that's a good question, but he doesn't. I mean, he lets Ron Roberts call the defense. Uh, Dave is a, you know, this is his first head coaching job. Last year was his first year, and this is only his second year as a head coach. But I think he, uh, number one, he trusts Coach Roberts to do that. Number two, he's got a lot of other things going on, a lot of other uh, people um, uh, talking in his ear. So he lets him make those calls. And uh, I, I don't know how hard that was for him because he's been a D.C., you know, every stop up until here had to be a a learning process for him you know to let go of that I was looking at Baylor's and I know they've got that passing defense I was looking at their ability to get to the quarterback and I I think Ika is your is your leading sacker uh, at the defensive tackle position but what other pressures are you seeing Um, who else is very capable of getting back and stirring up the pocket yeah, I think it's it's pretty much everybody is capable of doing that on the front line and then the linebackers. Uh, Terrell Bernard is our All-American linebacker, and he, he had a sack last week of Jarrett Dagey of West Virginia. Jalen Petrie is kind of that um, – the jack position is what they call it. It's that hybrid linebacker safety position, and he comes, you know, on a – on a safety blitz every once in a while also. But then Gabe Hall on the defensive front, he's had a sack or two himself. Uh, and uh, Braden Utley is another defensive end. Uh, Garmin Randolph is one of those guys. So really uh, they all, I think, work uh, sort of interchangeably. You know, if one guy gets gets double teamed, maybe that opens up somebody else and he might get in there to get the sack. So there's not one guy uh, that's going to get all those numbers. I think it's, you know, kind of a team sack and, you know, team uh, uh, contributions there. So you're playing a future Big 12 opponent in BYU. What's the mood out there in terms of what's been going on over the last uh, couple of months in terms of the Big 12, losing Texas and Oklahoma, and then adding uh, a few teams from the AAC and BYU? Yeah, well, I'm personally excited about uh, about this matchup. You know, a preview of coming attractions with BYU. And we'll play here this year. We'll play in Provo next year. And then then it's Big 12 (laughs) rivalry between Baylor and BYU. So um, I I really hate that we're losing Oklahoma and Texas. Those are some longstanding rivalries especially Texas, you know, 100 miles down the road from us. And, uh, you know, it's just sad that uh, it's kind of like when A&M left. Uh, you know, it was sad, but they made their choice and they're gone. And 
Uh, we're starting to play them in some sports, not football, and maybe it'll be the same with Texas. But they've made their decision, and I think the Big 12 did a really good job of finding some, uh, you know, the best schools out there available and interested in joining the Big 12. And uh, I, I prefer to look forward, you know, and look at it positively that we're adding four great schools and we're going to get, uh, you know, these new rivalries that we'll put in place now. And we'll get to travel to, to Provo, Utah, you know, on a regular occasion, which is great. So I, I think it's going to be great. I, I really like the way things have come out of what was a bad situation, but I think it's uh, turned into a positive situation. How do you feel BYU is going to be received as a university and as a football team coming into the Big 12? Um, I think good. I mean, I, I, you guys know this better than I do, but a national brand there and uh, you know, very well recognized, very well thought of. Uh, from our perspective, you know, here at Baylor, it's another uh, faith-based school, and uh, we can appreciate that, you know, what what BYU stands for, you know, what Baylor stands for, the same type of thing. So we really appreciate that here also. So I, I think they'll be very well received. Uh, I think all the schools will, and uh, I think our fans will uh, love traveling to road games when we come out your way. I know we're, we're knee-deep in football right now, but tell you what, this is going to be one heck of a basketball conference, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It really is. And and to be honest, that's one of the first things I thought of. You know, maybe the decision was made football first. Uh, a lot of these realignment decisions are. But, man, you think about the, the schools that are coming into our league, which has been number one or number two RPI in basketball, you know, for several years. And then the additions of BYU and Cincinnati and Houston. Houston was in the Final Four last year with us. And, uh, and then UCF also. So I, it is going to be some kind of league. I mean, it, it's, uh, I think it's going to be tougher. I think it'll be tougher with these four new schools than it is right now. So I was just looking at this. West Coast Conference rankings came out. BYU picked to finish second, as always, behind Gonzaga in West Coast Conference and then a bunch of teams that I don't even know. I want to get your thoughts. Um, where do you feel like BYU would fall in line this year if they were coming out with the preseason conference rankings? Where do you feel like they'd fall in line? And I, I want to go minus Texas and minus Oklahoma. But okay. where do you think BYU would fall in line? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know uh, just because I don't know the team. I, I don't know. I mean, I know the generalities of the program, but not really the team this year. Um, I want to say I want to say middle of the pack, but I don't know if that's fair. Um, we're going to have you know there's there's some good good teams here, good programs here in the Big Twelve, and I think you guys watch for this. I think we'll have the Big Twelve preseason poll out today, so uh, watch for that. Maybe BYU will be in there. Who knows? There you go. When they release it today, <laughs> so then we'll all find out together. But I, I'm not dodging your question. I just don't really have a good handle on on this year's team and. You know, we'll have uh, we'll have Kansas, we'll have Baylor. Uh, if you include Texas, Texas, we could have three top ten teams uh, in the Big Twelve this year uh, in the preseason poll. So that's how tough this league is in basketball, and I just think BYU is going to fit right in, fit in very well. So, what are your expectations if uh, if Baylor's going to get a win against BYU? What do they need to do coming up on Saturday? Yeah, I got to run the ball, and uh, that's kind of the staple of this wide zone offense. So, got to be able to run the ball against a very tough defense, defensive front, 
and uh, can't make mistakes. Our guys have been really good in, in the takeaway category. Baylor's plus six on the year. So that is, has really been something in Baylor's favor. And then our defense has just got to be able to uh, to stand up to that offensive front of, of BYU with those big tackles and those big guys. So, um, you know, kind of kind of the basic stuff you would think in a game, um, I think those things have to go Baylor's way. And Gary Bohannon has to continue to run the offense, you know, as well as he has uh, to get to a 5-1 record. Uh, but we got to run the ball. I mean, that's that's what really stymied Baylor against Oklahoma State and led to that loss. And if you can't do that, it really kind of gums up the works of what you want to do offensively. All right, there you go. <clears throat> that's uh, voice of the Baylor Bear, Bears, John Morris, joined Hanson Scotty earlier today. Don't forget, David Locke is going to join our show coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour to talk some Utah Jazz basketball. Uh, but coming up next, we've got the Not Sports Report straight ahead. We're live from the Salt Palace here for Silicon Slopes, hanging out with our friends at Homey. We'll have more for you straight ahead, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return to Rice-Eccles Stadium for a big Pac-12 showdown against Arizona State as the Utes hope to keep their dreams of a Pac-12 title alive. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Check this out. And now, your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. show jake scott with you 97.5 and 1280 the zone david Locke's going to join the show coming up next at the top of the five o'clock hour but right now it's time for the not sports report brought to you by the lhm used car supermarket over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory check them out online lhmusedcars.com all right lloyd uh i i was deciding between a couple of stories and i'm i'm gonna go with this one because i think this is one that you can get behind uh i you know there's been a lot of is it watering uh, your your lawn in the rain no no although i did see somebody doing that today in the like half rain half snow and i i did think about you today because you're okay even that makes me cringe right now with with the with the drought and everything right now that that actually suddenly makes me cringe no you don't like to be sprinkler shamed i know i know you you turn into that spin and will turn on your sprinklers uh but uh no this is a, there was a protest lloyd in new york city outside of a deli uh called katz's uh deli and it was about uh pastrami prices basically this group of people were saying lower pastrami prices now and uh quite passionately i i'd say you know looking at the video there's you know probably five people with signs and uh, complaining about the, the, the five people okay the prices of pastrami but this is a a, a uh, this is a protest I can get behind Lloyd you know I'm not a food guy necessarily I'm not like Scotty and Hans and, and breaking down food 
But we can all agree when it comes to the sandwich meat that, that pastrami is king, right? Absolutely. I mean, that, uh, unbelievable. Pastrami, pastrami is great on, like, I mean, I love me a good, like, pastrami burger. I mean, you name it. A Reuben? Yes. Although, although a proper Reuben is with corned beef, I suppose. But I'll, I'll take a, a pastrami Reuben anytime. Pastrami is just amazing. We've got to get these prices under control now, Lloyd. Now. This is something that I can get behind. I'm getting my sign. I'm going to jo- go join those four other guys outside of Katz's, and we're going to get something done about this this national crisis. Something tells me you would fit right in with the with the five others that are there right now. Yeah, absolutely, I would. <laughs> Grouchy, grouchy about my pastrami prices. I mean, it's it's really it's really a problem out there, Lloyd. We're all paying too much, and the prices have got to come down. Well, I think we're there. There's a lot of things that we're paying too much on, and we got to draw the line somewhere. And pastrami, apparently, is that line. Is there a product out there, Lloyd, that you are passionate enough that if the, uh, if the price of it, let's say double or tripled, you would take to the streets? A product or service? Is there something out there that you are that passionate about? No, because if I, the, uh, I'm, I'm a sucker. If, if, I, if there's something that I really like, I'll 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 pay. I I will. I mean, I might just have to not get it as much, but like, I mean, you hear Hans like he's passionate about shake prices. Like that's something. Like if it's a shake that's too too pricey, I mean, he's not. He draws the line there. And I'm thinking to myself, it's the, the, it's you get what you pay for. Like it's really good. If it's that good, then you you get what you pay for. So right now, I, I, I don't think there's something that I would draw the line on. It's, if it's something that I really, really like and I enjoy, uh, I'll, I'm, I'm one of those guys that probably pretty much pay whatever. So you're a big fan of, of meatloaf, I know, and, and you wouldn't take to the streets if all of a sudden ground beef was triple the price? No. No, I wouldn't. No? No. I, 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 if you get me a good, if it's a good, good meatloaf. You, you could probably charge you. Yeah, whatever. you could charge me whatever. No, whatever. I'm going to pay for it. Okay. Well, hey, I'm I'm behind these people protesting these high pastrami prices. Something has to be done, and uh, that's that's why these guys are taken to the streets. And I say good on them, Lloyd. I say good on them. You know how you have the protests with like say fur and people are like throwing paint on on people's fur or whatever. What would you what what would you be doing? Say somebody comes out and they're they're carrying like the pastrami. What are you doing? Well, taking it from them, stealing it. it. Okay, yeah. All right. right. The first thought there is is you don't need this. Let me just go ahead and eat it. Let me take this off your hands. Let's 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 send a message. Hand that hot loving the man with the pastrami. (laughs) (laughs) All right, David Locke joins us next. We're live from Silicon Slopes. Hanging out with our friends at Homie. We're under the blimp if you want to find us. We're very easy to find. Yeah, we are. Um, I don't know why I always get brought into just weird conversations. Sorry, well, people are, Sorry. People are, uh, <laughs> people are pro- protesting over pastrami prices. I mean, that, if they're, that is a noble cause, I should say. <laughs> We're paying too much. It Jamie. is. It's got to stop. At least, I mean, I, I always thought it was hands and Scotty. Yeah, yeah that's, all Lloyd. All Lloyd's fault. That's Lloyd's. Thing. Well, hey, speaking of Hans, uh, Hans has used Homey. It's your opportunity to save lots and lots of money if you're you're buying or selling for that matter, or or borrowing. <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, Hans, Hans has used us for selling. He's used us for refinancing. So um, it's it's a great time to sell mo- or to save some money and on home we can help. Um, and that's, you know, that's been our mission here to make sure that we're um, saving you no matter what you're doing in the home, home price. And Hans is high maintenance. So if you guys didn't help him through the whole process, he wouldn't make it. You know, I love um, my my text messages with just talk me through this. <laughs> hey, <laughs> tell me tell me how to feel about this. <laughs> but you guys will do that for anybody. Yeah, for you know? sure, for sure. It's not just the hand special. Anytime he has a question, we, we make sure to get him with the person that's going to be able to answer it. And um, and so I, I love those questions because it, it makes people know that to trust us and that we've got their back. Homie's got your back. I've seen the signs. Yeah. I have. I, marketing works. But it's true. You know, it, it really is true. You guys can just do it better. Save people money. And it's why you've been so uber, uberly successful. I said this earlier. Uh, you, you Everywhere I go, every corner I turn, there's that big teal sign that just pops right out on, at you. And it's because it works. Yeah, for sure. And um, it works so much. We've saved over $100 million in commissions. Wow, really? And so, like, that's amazing to know that we've got $100 million back into consumer pockets and you wonder why your traditional realtor is grumpy yeah <laughs> i wonder i really do i question it sometimes homie.com it's homie.com uh katie thank you very much thank you all right we'll have more coming up next david Locke joins us on the big show 97.5 and 1280 the zone